Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Welcome back to the podcast, dear listeners. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday with your family and friends. As our Medicare agents are aware through our communications over the last few weeks, CMS recently issued a new Medicare Advantage proposed rule for the contract year 2025. Included in the draft regulation are provisions related to broker compensation, broker compensation, and quote-unquote administrative fees as well as proposed regulations impacting field marketing organizations, more commonly known as FMOs. Additionally, we are looking at what Congress is doing and what we can expect from the chambers before the end of the year. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, to discuss all this are none other than NABIP's John Green and Michael Andell. So, guys, as I mentioned, CMS recently released that proposed rule that, if finalized as written, would make fundamental changes to Medicare agent compensation. So regarding impacts on compensation specifically, what do our Medicare listeners need to know? Well, thanks, Dan. And yes, this has really gotten our attention, obviously, uh, because the rule actually touches compensation, which hasn't happened in a very long time. And Congress, as you mentioned, is also doing oversight on this issue. And unfortunately, uh, there are organizations in this industry space that have not been totally forthcoming in terms of how compensation works. They've muddied the waters quite a bit. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this tendency on the Hill to go after what they call the middleman no matter what it is, if it's, you know, PBMs or or some other healthcare space, they're looking for a middleman. And they think they found their middleman in the FMO. And so we've spent a great deal of time uh, educating Hill staffers and CMS on how these funding streams actually work and what they do. And that it is a market efficiency to have FMOs in the market because if carriers had to take up that slack, the impact on their MLR would explode and premiums would go up. And that's not an outcome that anyone really wants. Not to mention that to ramp up and hire enough agents is costly and, again, would raise premiums. And I think there would be a lot more dissatisfaction with the program as carriers try to find their feet you're talking about moving a massive number of people for for a carrier to take on a massive amount of people to service. And it just is impractical and would cost more than what they're saving to the trust fund. So having said all that, I think we are making some headway in clarifying 
uh, these various roles and how the funding streams work. But, you know, uh, and carriers are uh, becoming more aware and concerned about that. And in fact, I've had discussions with both Better Medicare Alliance and AHIP and a number of FMOs on this. So, uh, you know, the, the regulation uh, comments are not due until January, early January. And we have, we're working diligently to gather in more information and data to make our case. So specifically, how would the proposed regulation cap the max compensation for enrollment if finalized as written? So currently, the agent of record receives $611. They would cap it at $642, taking into account what they think is fair market value for administrative fees. You know, when, when an agent goes out and does a, a marketing call, if you will, or an enrollment, all those materials from the carrier um, doesn't come from the carrier. It actually comes from the FMO. They provide all of those materials. They're able to talk about and compare different plans from different carriers. Um, again, if this all goes to the carrier, they will only be able to speak about their plan and no other plan. So there'll be no more comparison of plans. And I think that that will lead to a lot of unhappiness uh, by beneficiaries uh, and more requests to uh, switch plans because they won't be enrolled in the correct plan. So it all fits together efficiently currently. And once we are able to explain how that works, I think that uh, st committee staff are starting to have that aha moment now that they understand that the FMO is paying, playing a critical role in not only providing back office support, but all the compliance for recording and storage is all being borne by the uh, general agent or the FMO. And CMS actually acknowledges this in the proposed rule and actually states that they recognize that prohibiting contract terms between MA organizations and FMOs would leave the agent having to deal with the administrative overhead related to these call recording requirements, et cetera, themselves. Of course, CMS believes that as long as you have a robust enough book of business that an agent can easily afford this. Well, there are only 24 hours in a day. And they're working around the clock right now. And so that's a, it's a great thought, but they haven't done it. They also, in terms of administrative fees and other non-enrollment services that agents provide, CMS uses the example of health risk assessments, also known as HRAs. So Michael, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, Dan. Well, agents, a lot of times use these HRAs to help with clients that are dual eligible or have other issues, and it's time consuming. It's not like an agent would steer somebody in here to make extra commission. There's actually a lot of work here involved, and it helps the consumer. There's a lot of cost and time involved. And so to look at this as somehow agents just trying to find a way to make a couple more bucks of conversation is just ignoring the work that's provided for the consumer, which is something that you think CMS would want them to do, especially if they're dual eligible or if they've got a lot of other issues, you're saving them time up front, putting them in the right plan. We explained this to Senator Casey, and I believe that he understood what the underlying goal is here. And if it raises a, a carrier star ratings, isn't that a good thing? 
Isn't that what we want? The people to be placed in the correct plan to serve their needs uh, medically. That's what was, that's why we, Congress passed Medicare in the first place. And so to quibble over, you know, 50 or 100 or sometimes even $200, because some of these surveys are rather uh, extensive, as Michael said, you know, the carriers have tried to do this on their own and they just can't, their, their response rate is horrible. But they know that if they offer a little bit of compensation to an agent, that, you know, their response rate is much better. Funny thing is, there's concern about churn between plans. And you think there would be an incentive for an agent to sit down and spend the time with somebody to find the right plan as opposed to just signing them up which is what they're going to do, and they're going to increase more churn. It's not going to help them achieve whatever goals that they want. In fact, the Alliance for Community Health Plans alleges that we are steering away from regional carriers. And we fielded a, a survey, and many of you responded to that survey, and we appreciated it because we got a statistically valid sample size of over 1,600 responses. And what I found interesting in the data points was, you know, well, first of all, most agents sell both national and regional plans. But if you look at the bar for regional plans, it's actually higher. And I had an aha moment there myself in that people uh, tend to sell what they know locally, right, and regionally. And that's what beneficiaries also know. It's that whole, you know, everything is local kind of expression. And how they learn about regional plans is largely from the FMO. And I've told the Alliance that my concern is the way that they're talking about this on the Hill is going to actually have the opposite effect. And it's already happened, in fact, because the way the rules are being written, they're actually going to steer more towards national plans. I think their argument is not working. And John, that's even more important now because we've got a, a major announced proposed merger. It's going to have more consolidation at the national level of plans. And then you would think regional plans would want more exposure and more work from the agents and brokers that are already doing this, looking at plans locally. Well, they, they are very supportive of the local agent. I'll say that. It is the FMO over which they're causing the most confusion in terms of those administrative fees, which of course go to the uh, FMO. They don't, it's not a slush fund. It's not one big amorphous pot that is flowing to the agents that allows them to increase their compensation. It doesn't work that way. The agent of record, as you know, is the one who is receiving that commission payment from the carrier. And the administrative fees go to the FMO and they don't mix them. Obviously they have a lot of overhead and, and look, and they hire a lot of people. So are we really going to destroy an efficient system and cause a lot of disruption in a massive program? So let's move now to the legislative front. So historically, NAPIP has seen priorities of ours move through a end-of-year package, which is, of course, past some time, usually in December. So looking ahead to December, do we expect anything like that to happen this year? What is Congress's focus as we close out 2023? 
Well, Speaker Johnson and the Republican conference have repeatedly uh, said that they want to avoid a big omnibus, which is usually the vehicle that we would find our priorities included. But, you know, there are less than 10 days or so legislative days left, and they still can't agree on much. And so I think that the prospects for adding uh, health care are nil for the remainder of at least for this year and possibly into next year because the way that they funded the government in two tranches, uh, one in January and one in February, it's going to lead to still more haggling over funding. You know, then we start getting into the political season. Michael? Yeah, there's there's a limit on what's going to happen because they have punted on continuing resolutions until next year, but they still haven't, you know, worked on all the differences that that started the whole speaker fight to begin with. So they're going to have things like an impeachment bill and other issues come up. So there's several big issues that members want to do that are bipartisan, such as uh, more transparency, lower cost act, which is pending house action for a couple of months now, hasn't come up various versions of PBM bills. The Senate really wants to have some insulin lower cost implemented, but there's some CBO scores there. Uh, there's a lot of interest in extending telehealth, making that permanent from pandemic era rules. So there's a lot of very bipartisan issues that are just kind of being left on the side. And I looked at a letter the Majority Leader Chuck Schumer just released, and it was his list of things they need to work on before year's end and healthcare wasn't listed anywhere on there, which is a surprise to me. I've been in several hearings lately on healthcare and AI. There's not even a consensus on where to begin on legislation on that. So this is very interesting set of issues that are very bipartisan. They'll probably make it through the end, but there's no floor time scheduled in the near future. And today they're spending floor time considering expulsion of New York Congressman Santos. And they're spending their conference time mostly talking about that. So they're not really focused on legislation. But here's the good news. We got under the wire with the employer reporting bill in June before all of of this blew up. Now it's over in the Senate. And so today we're resending the Operation Shout to try to get members of the Senate to co-sponsor the bill. This is the only opportunity that they have that's remotely healthcare related, though it's really more tax, but will be helpful uh, to employers. I think this is the only game in town and let's just do it. I mean, we've been working on this for a decade. I think it's ripe now, it's bipartisan. It's one of the few bills the House even sent over to the Senate that is, you know, has bipartisan support. Now is the time. And I think that this has to be priority number one. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? Well, this week we're going to toast to the agents who answered the call on our Medicare survey. I can't tell you how valuable that has been. I've shared it with Hill staff. I'm sharing it with HHS officials uh, today. It's a very impressive and it tells, you know, they want data. 
They want evidence. When we make a claim to back it up. And this survey serves that purpose in a large way. So I really appreciate everyone's contribution. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NAPIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAPIP.org.